Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts, included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash comedy ad free. That's amazon.com slash comedy ad free. And catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here's your prescription. I know just the pharmacy to get this filled. Who are you? A pharmacy benefit manager. A middleman your insurer uses to decide which medicines you can get, what you pay, and sometimes even which pharmacy you should go to. Why can't I go to a pharmacy in my neighborhood? Because I make more money when you go to a pharmacy I own. <laughs> no one should stand between you and your medicine. Visit phrma.org slash middleman to learn more. Paid for by Pharma. Happy New Year and welcome back to Ep 14. Let's go. Morgan over here. Taylor over here. And we are stoked. Virtually. We are here here virtually. (laughs) And that's why we keep repeating ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always afraid that I'm going to be talking over her, but um, new things. Yeah. We are currently recording on Squadcast. So yeah. Shout out Squadcast. Shout out Buzzsprout. Shout out Buzzsprout. I was about to say shout out Buzzsprout for the help because so just to be clear, I do not have COVID. Morgan does not have COVID, um, but I am in quarantine from a possible exposure. So I am getting tested and the timing's just really shitty with this whole situation. The timing is so shitty. It like couldn't have worked worse for us. All right. So Morgan, this is still before Christmas, everybody. And um, I have my test results coming back the day that Morgan is leaving to go home for Christmas. (laughs) We're really sorry about the quality, but thank God again for our new mics. Hopefully, hopefully the quality sounds good. I'm in my apartment. Taylor's in her house and we're five minutes down the road, but we're still on whatever you would call this Buzz, no not buzzsprout what is this called this is like uh, a zoom it's squadcast. called squadcast but it's like a zoom for you guys that don't know so i'm just staring at her in front of a it's screen weird. and it's very <laughs> weird so we're gonna really try hard to keep our energy up and all i can hear is the echo in my headphones <laughs> oh no oh like, god so of myself we have um tested this like three times now and it's gone really, really smoothly. But the moment that we finish test one, it's like everything goes haywire and yeah. we can't get it back to normal again. So um, test one screwed us and here we are. We hope it's good quality. We're just going to go, go for it. Yeah, we're just going to have to ride with it at this point. <laughs> at least we put one out. If you guys hate it that much, like you don't have to listen to this one, but this one's going to be a really good episode. So I hate that. My exposure ruined it for creeps and crimes, but we're not going down without a fight. So yeah, COVID can know, kiss. I this. know a lot of you have like hardly any New Year's Eve plans because of COVID. So make us your New Year's Eve plans. We are yeah. your New Year's Eve plans. Yeah, we are it. We are fun, <laughs> we and are we are. <laughs> and we're, drink with us. Yeah, drink with us. Uh, water. Cheers. <laughs> I have a water somewhere. I have a, I have a tiny table I'm working with, so I can't fit. <laughs> But all right, whatever. We're what fine. Anyways, so 
2021 is on its way, and I'm not going to say a damn word about it because I'm not jinxing it. And <laughs> I'm, you know, so we're just going to ride with it. Uh, welcome 2021. We humbly invite you into our lives. And Morgan is lagging just a little bit. Her eyes got so big when I said you that. You too, but I think we're good now. I think we're good now. Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, but cool. yes, 2021, so please bring us something great. Happiness. This- so what are your goals for 2021, friend? Okay. So for 2021, I would like, you know, your basic healthy goal. Everyone has it. You're going to lose some weight. You're going to eat better. You're going to work out. Maybe I'll use that YMCA membership that I've had for three months and I went maybe three or four times. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Um, I would also like to get this apartment under wraps because again, I'm like empty living right now. So it's kind of shitty, but it is what it is. And I don't know, overall, I mean, besides body health, just mental health, I think. Yeah. Important. So yeah. what about you? For me would be overall health. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to work on my like strength. So um, more like weights or just working out in general would be great. But you know, when that time comes, I'd like to like get some muscles, be strong. Oh, wait, wait, can I add one? Yeah. Add one. My uh, the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. I never thought about that one. The podcast that are fucking sore in 2021. I wanted okay. to just Keep take going. off. Like <laughs> that one's my next one. The podcast. Um, I would like this to be my one job. So that would be great. So I could stop juggling right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just happiness because I feel like this year has been crazy. Like, yeah, I got married this year and everything. And that's so fun. But it's like, I feel like we missed out on a lot of things that you're supposed to do in your first year of marriage. So I right. hope we get to make up for that, you know, in right. 2021. Yeah. But we still, we really did make the best out of 2020. We killed it. 2020 might have killed a lot of people, but we killed 2020. We killed the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't come at us for that. We're just joking. We're just joking. Just fucking with you. I got nothing to do. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Just regular shit, guys. You know, follow us on Instagram at Creeps and Crimes Podcast. My personal is at morgue.m. Mine is at Taylor J with an A. And then also follow us on Twitter at creeps underscores crimes underscore not underscores underscore crime. Creeps and if you thousand have, underscores crime. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a creepy account, send that shit in Please. because we want. Okay, so I think it's Bad time that we tell them. Yeah. Shit. Um, we are unfortunately not going to be able to have a creepy account due to um, this whole quarantine situation. Due to twenty twenty. So. Yeah, do it to 2020. So um, make sure you send in all of the awesome stories that you get from talking with your family over these next few days and weeks with all these holidays. And um, send them in to creepsandcrimespodcast at gmail.com. We love reading them. And then also, one last thing, we've got something really big actually coming up for around February in 2021. But we can't say anything about it. Yeah, we're so, super stoked. Yeah, we're really excited fun. about it. So 
Um, at by this time, right? Well, they'll know who won the wine off wine. Oh yeah, away. yeah. Whatever. Well, right? by the last episode, they they'll know. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm like way behind on my days. No, it's <laughs> the fact that we have an episode in the pipeline and it's been there for about a week and a half, and I forgot about it until it's I got unusual. on the That's that's <laughs> not how we roll. We normally are Wednesday night recording, dropping it an hour later. Right. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Should we get started? Yeah, I'm ready. If you're driving, throw that shit on cruise control. If you got a glass, pour that shit up. And let's get creepy. All right, Morgan. So what do you got for us today? Okay. So to start things off, I kind of wanted just to read you guys a quick story that I found off Reddit before I dive into the story that I have today. Originally, I thought it could be like real cool to find a bunch of New Year's Eve hauntings, but it turned out to be a little bit more difficult than I thought. Um, But I thought that this is worth the share and could maybe set the mood for the app. So this is again, a Reddit post from user u slash L-A-Z-I-L-L-O-R. And it is titled, New Year's Eve ghost slash demon. So I'm just going to read it straight from the user. When I was around 12, I spent New Year's Eve at my friend's house while our parents went out to a restaurant in a nearby town. The house was old and pretty isolated. And to be honest, scared the crap out of me. You had to drive up a long overgrown track to reach it. A lot of my other friends at school would say the house was haunted and it was actually featured in a ghost book, if I remember correctly. So anyways, we were sat downstairs in the lounge watching some TV and heard the loudest crashing sound. I still remember the look in my friend's eyes when we turned to each other in shock. It took us a while to get up and actually go and investigate what the sound was. We crept out of the lounge down the hallway to the rest of the house. The crashing sounded like it came from upstairs, so we headed up to check it out. When we got to the top of the stairs, there was a breeze coming from somewhere. It was cold, like ice cold. We all know that that's no good (laughs) when it turns, the air turns cold. So we moved down the hallway upstairs towards the wind and turned to go down another corridor. Bear in mind, this house was massive. Honestly, it was near enough a mansion from the early 1920s. At the end of the corridor was his mom and dad's bedroom. The door was moving back and forth slowly. We both stopped and just stood still, frozen, not saying a word to each other. After a moment, my friend walked towards the door. I was still frozen in fear and fell behind a little. As he pushed the door open and snuck into the room, the darkness consumed him. I could barely make out his silhouette. There was perfect silence for a couple of seconds before I heard him let out the most terrifying scream. My adrenaline kicked in and I ran towards the room to see what had happened. I searched for the light and turned it on. He was stood, frozen stiff and pale, just staring into an empty corner of the room. Just to the side of him was a massive antique mirror that was smashed into pieces and scattered all over the floor. I placed my arm on his shoulder and asked him if he was okay. She broke the mirror, he said. I asked him who broke it. He said, the woman in the corner, she told me. At that point, I was honestly like, fuck this, and told him we should leave. He turned to leave with me just before we did. I wanted to check the mirror. Surely the wire had broken or something, I thought to myself. I bent down to the mirror and turned it over. The string that was holding it to the wall was intact. It hadn't snapped. I looked at the wall. The nail was still firmly fixed in the wall. At that point, I was so terrified, I told him to ring his parents and tell them to come home. We waited outside the front door until our parents arrived back from the restaurant. 
My dad and his dad went straight up to the bedroom to check it out when they when they arrived and saw the broken mirror. They sort of pushed it off and said we were up to no good and playing a game that got out of hand. After that night, my friend never really spoke about it to me. The worst part, I'm 24 now. I was having a general chat with my mom, and as New Year is coming up soon, this was posted a year ago from today, um, that night came up. I told my mom about it, and she said, yeah, I believed you. I believed you the second day after it happened. Your friend's mom told me a few days after that night that she had seen a woman in her room telling her to leave the house. It honestly set my whole body tingling, and I had flashbacks to that night, although it's coming up to almost 12 years ago now. So pretty freaking scary, I'd say. Um, but what's funny about it was that there's even a comment from a year ago, right after it was posted, that said, 12 years, you know what they say about the 12-year anniversary. That's always when it happens. If it's gonna be safe, man. To which our guy replied, I've never heard of that, but thanks for the scare. If that was me, I'd be like, yo, next time, keep it to your damn self. Um, okay. First off, I had to get up in the middle of that story and just go make sure all the windows were shut because I'm scared to death to be in here by myself. Okay? Can you imagine being a 12 year old boy, just like chilling on New Year's Eve and hearing and doing and experiencing all of that? Oh, absolutely not. I'm just so, I'm so freaked out right now. <laughs> okay. I'm just like, she's like in the corner, like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. To his friend. And then they're like, get out the house. Okay, so is this ghost from the mirror or is this a residual ghost within the house? You what is me. going on? I don't know. I, oh, I love that story. Great story, Maury. Thank you. And I was like kind of pissed about like the no creepy account. So I figured that I'd like slide in a creepy account on this episode so that you guys can't get away from it. You have right. to love it. <laughs> okay. So anyway, today... I am going to be talking about The Ghost of Broadway. Um, it's a lighter paranormal story, and I thought that it would be perfect because New Year's, Eve's, New Year's Eve is supposed to be so much fun. And this year, unfortunately, well, make what you can out of it, but wear your mask, social distance, yada, yada, yada. Um, so what better time to talk about a New York City haunting than New Year's Eve? When I think of starting the new year, my mind goes straight to the ball drop in New York City. And I think the rest of the um, country could agree to that. We all gather around a television and watch as the infamous ball brings us into the new year. And my golly, I cannot wait for that ball to drop this year because 2020 blows, man. So hopefully 2021 brings us all this happiness and success and no alien encounters, new world order takeovers, bullshit that I keep hearing about that's gonna happen. So, although, I mean, it could be cool, but yeah, probably not. So anyway, let me get into my story. I'm just bullshitting. So my source for this is the world's scariest places, haunted, creepy, and abandoned magazine. Um, my friend Maddie Morgan actually had mailed this magazine to me a few weeks ago. So shout out to her. And I cannot wait to share some of the other topics and stories of hauntings that are in this magazine. And also another website is burrowsofthedead.com. So this haunting takes place in the new Amsterdam Theater of Broadway and is located in the theater district of Manhattan, New York, right off of Times Square, right where the ball drops. See what I'm doing here? <laughs> anyway, um, on October 20th, 1898, 
Olive Thomas was born in Charleroi, Pennsylvania, which, Taylor, is like 20 minutes from my house at home. Um, another fun fact is my brother's girlfriend, Sarah, she grew up in Charleroi, like went to Charleroi High School, and she's like, Charleroi or die. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I like found this story in the magazine. Let's just um, keep triangulating our location, Morgan, so psycho fans can come murder us. Okay, well, good luck. I'm in like a really <laughs> rural area, Pennsylvania. So. I'm like listening to you. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Catch me if you can, murderers. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't even try. No, please don't. We're just kidding. Um, <laughs> okay, anyway, keep going. Sorry. She was like, Charleroi die, but she'd kill me for saying that if she ever heard this. If you're listening, yeah, whatever. So... By the young age of 17, Olive packed up and left Little Charleroi and moved to the big city. While in New York, she became a dancer for the famous Seigfeld Foley's. It's pretty well known that Olive was the mistress of Florence Seigfeld, who was the owner of this Broadway show. Um, she was the first Varga. How do you say this? Vargas or Varga? It's like the dancer. You know what I'm talking about? I- I know what you're talking about. I don't know how to pronounce it. We should have called Marley. Oh, shit. We're going to get busted. <laughs> She's going to kill us. Sorry, Marley. Um. Anyway, so she was the first Varga girl, and in Mr. Zagfield's office was a topless painting of Olive holding a rose. So he was, like, obsessed with her. And you know what? This picture is beautiful, and I would love to put it on her Instagram, but nipples. So you tell me what you think, and we can cover them. Censor okay. members, I'm I'm down with posting it. I love promoting I mean, like promoting old, body positivity. Right. <laughs> and it, it was a beautiful painting. So whatever, maybe you guys will get to see it. Hopefully. So I can't imagine being a stage girl in New York City at 17 years old, but apparently 17-year-olds today are not what they were in 1915. Before moving to New York, Olive had already married once and divorced by the age of 17. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, Damn, girl, you go, get girl. It. Get it, girl. <laughs> so, not even a year later, Olive signed a contract, a movie contract to be precise, with the International Film Company. She left the Broadway stage and moved out to California. So, this is important to remember, remember that Olive was only in New York for roughly like a year and a half. So, while in California, she married Jack Pickford, who was the brother of a famous silent movie star, Mary Pickford. I was never into silent films, so I have no idea who she is, but I'm sure someone does. Some of you guys do. Do you watch that shit? No. You no. know me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so four years later, after Olive and Jack had been married, they decided to go on a second honeymoon, and they went to Paris and stayed at the Hotel Ritz. Fancy. One night, the couple had went out for some drinks, and it didn't go as lovely as a honeymoon should. They were arguing and fighting all night, both very drunk, and hadn't returned to the hotel around, until around 3 a.m. At this point in the story, there's two versions. Um, I'm going to throw out a trigger warning here. I'm going to be talking about suicide. So if you're not comfortable with that, you can go ahead and fast forward for about 10 more minutes. Um the first story being that Jack had fallen asleep and was woken up to hearing Olive scream, oh my God. Okay, wait, let me rephrase that. The first being that Jack had fallen, I, I want to rephrase how she said, oh my God, because it probably wasn't like that. So I'm thinking more of like a, 
oh my god i don't know what do you think <laughs> like the marilyn monroe lady off of tiktok yeah okay oh yeah. my god oh my god okay so anyway jack had heard olive scream that from the bathroom and it's important to mention and know that jack had syphilis and he was prescribed mercury bichloride that was supposed to be administered topically only to his sores. So after hearing Olive scream, he ran to the bathroom and found her holding his empty blue bottle of mercury. Which, if we don't know, taken orally in powerful doses is very poisonous to the body. Asking for an OD. Um, Jack flushed her throat with water and egg whites trying to get Olive to vomit, and she died in the hospital shortly after. She was only 25. The second story is that their fighting got very intense after their night out, and Jack had stormed out of the room, and Olive, sobbing, grabbed his bottle in order to commit suicide. Um, the capsules were coffin-shaped for the prevention of this exact scenario. So, like, the pills in the bottle were shaped as a coffin. Um, it was marked on the bottle poison like with the skull and the bones and everything. So it was very known, like, do not take this orally. Most said that Olive was very despondent over her crumbling marriage. But this was like the biggest Hollywood scandal at the time, like the biggest Hollywood death at the time. So her husband, Jack, became very defensive. And he says otherwise. He said that they both loved each other since the day they were married. Um, the fight was like a one-time thing, and there was no way that this was suicide. It had to be an accident. And he was even quoted saying, she didn't want to die. She took the poison by mistake. So regardless of what led up to Olive's death, what a horrible event to take away a young, talented girl's life at the mere 25 years old. It's really shitty and whatever. So... Olive's spirit still lives on. Oh. Um, and it does so in the new Amsterdam Theater of Broadway, right smack dab in New York City. Olive is seen floating around the theater wearing a green beaded dress while clutching a blue bottle. And that's how they pinpointed it to Olive. So let's remember that Olive was only in New York for a year and a half out of her lifetime, out of her 25 years. And her spirit chose to go back to this theater to this day, till until 2020. She's still haunting it. Wow. So I'm just going to go through some sightings. So she has been spotted so many times that it's custom to walk in and say, good morning, Olive, and walk out while saying, good night, Olive. She prefers fucking around with the boys over the girls because Olive is a giant flirt. Let's go, girl. Yes. Hell yes. Um, a nighttime security guard made a frantic phone call around 2.30 a.m. to Dana Amendola, A-M-E-N-D-O-L-A, and she is currently the VP of Disney Theatrical. So this, this Broadway building is where the Disney Broadway shows are. So this is what she's haunting now. And that happened like the late 1900s. Um, I forgot to say that earlier. But so this security guard calls Dana, who's the VP, claiming that he had seen a woman in a green dress walking across the stage carrying a blue bottle. He yelled out to her, hey, you can't be here. And her ass said, all right, and glided right through the wall and out onto the street. 
This bitch went through the wall. <laughs> I love this ghost, guys. I love her. Um, I think you will too when I'm done. If I was a security guard, first off, I'd pass the fuck out after watching something glide through the wall. Can you even imagine? Y'all, I want you to know that the I had to mute myself so you couldn't get any like back noise on me. But Morgan's talking, I'm like pumping my fist, like She's geeking out, laughing <laughs> over the mic. Yeah. I'm laughing so hard, but I love her. No, Taylor, me too. Morgan texted me and was like, you don't understand my love for this ghost. I don't think you will ever understand it. I want to be her friend. (laughs) We'll go visit her. We'll put that on our um, YouTube series. I want to see the Lion King. Okay. Well, I want to see Olive. Okay. Well, yeah, me too. But like, if it's Disney, like, what are we going to see? Two birds, one Lion King. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) So some witnesses say that they see a woman walking around still. She's still in the green dress. Every single time she's in the green dress, green dress. But this time, these witnesses say that she wears a sash that says olive on it. Like she wants people to know, bitches, I'm still here. And I am your very first Vargas girl. And I'm still freaking here. I'm running this Broadway shit. So ushers, custodians, and other workers, all male, of course, have felt someone playfully like touch their backs and they turn around to find nobody. Um, they have reported a blowing feeling on their neck. Sorry, you didn't know where I was going with that. <laughs> Taylor's face was like, yo, quit it. Blowing. Quit while you're ahead, girl. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, so they report a blowing feeling on their neck and other like flirtatious hauntings. Like this is all she's doing is she's like flirting She's haunting, but flirting. It's very funny. Um, Olive will talk with the men, like have on full-on conversations. And she's fairly passive, but when there's a new show being put on or those from her generation come to occupy the theater, she makes her appearance known. So like she will come and go, but if there's a new show being brought to stage, then, you know, she's there. She's got to see that shit. And if people from, I don't know, they're probably what? 50, 70, 80, 80, 90 years old, pull up. They're like, she's like, oh, you know, that's my, my people. Shit. That's my <laughs> shit. <laughs> so she has been sighted walking out of the building with the crowd of people that are leaving the building. Like she's just like disguised, like in there and onto the streets. She must love the streets. Um, she has also been sighted up on top of the roof where the roof garden theater was located when she worked back there. So there was a theater up on top of whatever. Yeah. You guys get what I'm saying. The roof. (laughs) An audience member had asked a worker for a booster seat for their child. And it was delivered by a woman in a green dress. The booster seat was during the show. And Dana Amendola, the VP of the theater, she was quoted saying, we checked. We asked all the staff that night because the people came up and said something to us. And no, none of the staff had done it. So you can take that how you like, but it was kind of freaky. How weird. I'm sorry. So did the worker that the people originally asked just not bring the booster seat? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they like were walking down and they saw that they had gotten one. You know how yeah. that, you know how that and turned happen. back around. But, but then like, at the same time, I'm like, that is not Disney's customer service policy. <laughs> Disney so knows better. Yeah, Disney knows better. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm almost, I'm just wrapping up, but um, 
I, I was just going to reiterate that. I love the spirit. Like I would literally be her friend. Like if I have a spirit guide, like I want it to be Olive Thomas. Is that her last name? Yeah. Um, the current VP, Dana, and others agree that Olive just like loves attention and pleasing others, especially the men. So that's kind of all I have, guys. I figured a fun little New York story would do you well on this shitty New Year's Eve holiday. And just remember that if you ever go to Broadway, make sure you say goodnight, Olive, after the show. Aww. <laughs> How cute is that story? You walk in, hi, Olive. I wonder if you like address her if she makes her presence known to you specifically. Probably. And you know what? Like, you know how I was, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's but okay. Keep going. Do you know how there was like two theories or two stories? Um, trigger wording again, in case you did fast forward. But, you know, the first theory was that her death was an accident. She didn't mean to. The second one was that she was, she committed suicide. Um, for her to go back to New York City prior to when she met her husband, four or five years earlier, I'm going to say that that was her happiest moments of her life. And her moving in Cal- to California, she was just miserable. Her marriage, she was miserable. So that I, I'm going to go with the second theory that it was, in fact, suicide. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that she committed suicide or she it was an accident and it was so like traumatic. But you, if she really was as like, intoxicated as – and the report said, like, it could have been an accidental overdose, and um, her spirit just said, "Fuck it, let's go live life." Yeah, and she loved that shit, or or she was in love, ooh, or she was in love ooh. with the the guy that owned the thing. Mm-hmm. She was his mistress, so she was just oh. like wanting to go back to his place. Yeah. What I was gonna say, I was gonna say, it's so funny because as like a performer and a narcissist myself um (laughs) (laughs) we are performers yeah we we went to broadway we performed we're rockets so Uh, yeah we just did a few like lip sync things i don't know well we won so yeah so (laughs) this is this is what it is um but like i would go do the same theatrics that she's doing like she She's just like so live and like every day of her life is just like this giant performance of the ghost. Right. Oh, hell yeah. If I get stuck in the in-between, I'm going to be like – I'm going to make it known. Yeah, I'm going to go to um wherever my happiest place is and I'm just – I'm going to fuck around, I think. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm going to be like – I hope I'm already dead when you're dead. I don't want – I don't want all the drama that's going to come with you being dead. <laughs> Good we're going to be at your thought. funeral and everybody's going to be crying and I'm going to be like, no, 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 no. She was just this talking is to so me last bad. week. <laughs> I'm like, this is so, so bad. She's back. Like she's sitting right beside me right now and she's I'm poking looking me. at her and she's laughing <laughs> at all of you. <laughs> like those TikToks where it's like me at my best friend's funeral and it's like, she's like your best friend's like I'm laughing the whole time. I'm a bad bitch. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, those are my earrings. There's no way in the hell that you're going into the ground wearing my earrings, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) One can only hope. (laughs) All right, Taylor, what do you got for us? Okay, guys, so I have a pretty crazy story for everybody today. Um, And this story I actually heard 
over a year ago. It's one of the first um, like times that I – so I was listening to it with my mom. And I got in the car to leave Cleveland and drive back up to Knoxville. Quit giving out your location. (laughs) (laughs) And I um, was leaving Cleveland and driving back up to Knoxville. And I turned it back on. And I loved the case so much that I had changed um, different podcasts so I could listen to multiple different perspectives of it because it's such a crazy case. So She does that every case. (laughs) yeah you're right she's not wrong anyways (laughs) so this case is the murder of Lindsay Buziak and my sources and also the podcast that you should refer to whenever if you want to get more information on the case because I'm not going to be able to give you as much depth as a few of these one as a few of these have but um I'm going to try to get as deep as I can by still respecting y'all's time because it's New Year's Eve so go do your thing so, uh, my sources are Case Files podcast, Crime Junkies podcast, and that's why I drink podcasts, Morbid podcasts, Wiki, Reddit, um, Dateline NBC, and um, the murder of Lindsay, I'm sorry, lindsaybuziakmurder.com. And that's actually a site that's ran by her father. So, let's get creepy. Uh, just kidding. Here we go. So Lindsay Buziak was born on November 2nd, 1983, which is actually my sister's birthday, November 2nd. Uh, Happy birthday, Phoebe. And she lived in a suburb of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. In 2008, Lindsay was an ambitious 24-year-old real estate agent, which kind of ran in her family because her father, Jeff, was a realtor and her boothang of two years, Jason, was also a realtor. So as you can guess, real estate was their entire life, which I guess that's how it is for any realtor. Because if you know or you're friends with one or have a Facebook issue with one, then not issue, Facebook friend that is a realtor, you know that your entire newsfeed is their post. Right. Like over and over and over again. Like there's no in between. You will never escape it, but that's how they make business. And that's how that, you know, they make their money. And so you have got to be that spunky all over social media, all over the town, billboards. Like you have to show right. your face. Park okay. Benches. I always see realtors on benches. Always. That bus stop. That's some northern shit right there. Oh. That's some northern shit. All right. I see billboards. <laughs> what? Anyways. Billboards. Billboard. 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 The things that are on the highway. What do you not know what the billboards are? The yeah, advertisements the on the highway are. that are high up? Mm-hmm. I don't know where we're going. You've never seen a real estate billboard? Of- we say billboard. I I think we're just <laughs> just go on with the story. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Never mind. Everybody, keep let's keep moving. So, um, that's how it is for any realtor. So, I make the reason why I make that specific statement about Lindsay is because her boyfriend Jason comes from a very, very wealthy and powerful family that owns um, their own real estate business, and it was a very, or it is a very successful. Um, business that was actually ran by Jason's mother, Shirley. 
If you can imagine what it's like to have one family member that's in real estate, like imagine having every single one of them. So it's going to be a little crazy. And plus, it's such a competitive business, like with a bunch of loud, you know, extroverts like that, that those are the best realtors. You know what I mean? So that's just how the family functions were at this place. So anyway, Shirley, Jason's mother was very, very involved in the couple's day-to-day life because of a work, but also she was heavily involved in their relationship. Like so much so that she was their landlord. So the couple shared this condo and it was owned by Shirley. And so they paid her rent and everything. So some of Lindsay's friends reported that Shirley was very controlling and Jason behind closed doors that, which this is something Lindsay figured out later on in, in their relationship is that he's kind of the same way, but they were not just controlling like with words and um, their actions, but also controlling with money. So an example that was used is like Shirley would be like, well, you live in my condo or you work for my company and very dominant with her money. And she used this like in her day-to-day life with people that were around her. So towards the end of the month in January of 2008, Lindsay got a call on her personal cell phone, cell phone, I was about to say cellular phone, excuse me, let me just correct myself. Um, And the woman on the other end was looking for a million dollar home for her and her husband to move into rather quickly. The woman stated that they would be in town for three days that upcoming week, and they were hoping to purchase a home within those days. So Lindsay is a little thrown by this whole phone call situation. Number one, um, Lindsay was only a junior employee at this company. So this would be one of her biggest deals yet. And she's like, why would they specifically call me? It's not like I'm all over the internet or all over the website or anything. So she's just kind of thrown by that. But the second reason is that she said the lady had a weird accent and it didn't sound real. Like what kind of accent? Okay. So she says to one of her friends, it was Spanish, but like not. That was like her, what she said about it. Hmm. So I don't know what that means. Like maybe like a little bit of broken English, but she said it sounded fake. So Lindsay decides to ask the woman how she found Lindsay. And the woman responds that a former former client of Lindsay's gave her her information and she even named the client. And so Lindsay's like, okay, that checks out. And so after the phone call, she decides to call her former client and thank them for referring her to this new client. And um, unfortunately, that client was out of town and they did not answer. So Lindsay just moved forward with it all. She tells her father and her boyfriend that she feels like something's a little off, but she's just super excited because this is a major career milestone for her. So maybe she's just thinking it's like too good to be true type situation. So she finds a home that she's super excited about. It's in a suburb of Victoria, um, British Columbia. And this is a very great area in general, but this house was a part of a brand new development. Okay. So Lindsay sets up a viewing for Saturday, February 2nd, 2008 at 5 30 PM. 
The couple confirms it, so she gives them the address, and they were super excited because this house sat at the cul-de-sac of a um, neighborhood. So it's always the best. Stoked. Right. So, oh, by the way, so fun fact, just random. <laughs> I'm like, where does cul-de-sac come from? Okay. Like, what word is this? Okay, it's French, and you know what it means? What? You're gonna you're gonna shit your pants. Bottom of the sack. Oh my god! <laughs> so, at what point did Americans be like, "Well, if you, you know ask, what, we're gonna use that"? <laughs> if you ask Noodle, she'll say it's called a cove. Yeah, that's some Memphis shit. All right, <laughs> only Memphis. Like, I've never heard anybody that. else. Yeah, no, I've never heard it called a cove anywhere in my entire life. Okay, <laughs> it's not a cove. Bottom of the sack. So, if you live in the cove, if you're Listening to this, you live in the cul-de-sac. You live in the bottom of a sack. And yes, a ball sack. Okay. A ball sack. Fun fact. <laughs> so now I'm going to show you a picture of it because um, – I'm well, I'm about to show you the layout of the house. So it's a two-story, um, four-bed, two-and-a-half bath with a large master suite, a big family room, a front dining room, a gated large backyard – um, and it has a patio on it. So let me show this to Morgan while we're on here. Here is the layout of the house. I'm showing her through Zoom or oh. through Squadcast. You see it? Oh, look at that master bedroom. Right. It's bath, Look at that corner, big bath. Corner bathtub. Yeah. Love it. Right. Gorgeous. All right. And then here's a picture of the outside of this house. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like... I love that it's blue. Uh, yeah. Wow. Is it for sale still? <laughs> I wouldn't want to live there now. Um, <laughs> Could be so, fun. <laughs> so they're like super stoked that it's at this end of the cul-de-sac. So, you know, like I said, it's got the big patio. It's gorgeous. So I'm going to post these pictures for y'all, by the way. So although she's super excited about this showing, she was still super nervous. So she asked Jason if he would come with her to the showing. He agrees, but he doesn't want to like steal her thunder because this is her first big deal. So he decides what he's going to do is sit in the car outside of the house. And if she needs him, she can text him or call him and he'll just come right in. So fast forward to the day. It's now February 2nd, 2008. It's a Saturday. Um, Jason and Lindsay went to go grab a late lunch. Well, for Americans, a late lunch. And um, they go to this restaurant called Sauce. And they paid the bill at two, I'm sorry, 4.24 p.m. And that's why I say late lunch for Americans. So um, yeah. Lindsay left in our, her car to run home and change before the showing. And Jason drove in his car to an auto body shop to pick up a friend and give them a ride um, before meeting Lindsay at the house for the showing at 5.30 so he's seen on security footage arriving at the shop at 4.29 p.m. So he picks up his friend and he asks a friend if he would want to go grab food and drinks. And the friend's like, sure. So he says that um, first, before they go get the food and drinks, that they've got to go pick up. Uh, I'm sorry. They have to go meet Lindsay at a showing um, because she's kind of nervous about it. And so the friend's like, okay, whatever. 
So from here on, this information that I'm going to give you until I say otherwise is going to be given by eyewitnesses. And the reason why I'm just making this blanket statement is because I don't want to be like witness one, witness two. So just so you know, from here on is um, eyewitnesses. So at 5 p.m., Lindsay was seen arriving at the house approximately 5.30, a couple, like a little bit before 5.30, a couple was spotted walking towards a cul-de-sac. Um, the woman was described to be um, between the ages of 35 and 40. She had semi-blonde hair that was like a bob, um, basically like wig night on my uh, bachelor. <laughs> oh, right? no. That's literally what the drawing Not looks like. Funny. Not Bonnie. Not Bonnie. So um, she's got a Bonnie cut and she's wearing a distinct designer dress that was like, and I'm going to show you a picture over here in just one second. It's black. And then down the center to like make you look skinnier, you know, like how it'll have like different colors on the inside. So that center had hot pink and white. And I'm about to show this to you. And um, the man, he was described as Caucasian, about six foot six, with slicked back, neat black hair or darker hair. And he was wearing a darker colored blazer. So here is the dress. I'm going to show you. Okay. Would have been great for Pink Night, The Bachelorette. I know, right? It's super cute. And it's just like really slimming. But anyways, it's a very notable dress because it was uh, it's a designer dress. So thank God for the nosy, bougie neighbor across the street that was like, I know that dress. That's you. Yes. <laughs> okay, shut up. <laughs> That's you. Uh, <laughs> so um, Jason calls Lindsay around the same time um, that – this couple is spotted walking and he lets her know that he's running just a little late. However, he's going to be right outside the house and she has nothing to worry about and good luck. So he is seen on security footage, leaving the auto body shop at 5 30 PM on the dot. So the witnesses see a couple, um, the couple walked to Lindsay in the driveway. They greeted each other. So they're like shaking hands. It looks like they're like starting up a conversation. And they said that she had some like paperwork on the back of her car. So she grabbed the paperwork and they walked towards the front door. And at 529 PM, the real estate um, agent lockbox is opened and Lindsay enters the home with the couple. So at 5.38 p.m., Jason sends Lindsay a text message, and he's just letting her know that he's just a few minutes away. However, he never got a response. So he's just like, she's probably working, whatever. Like whenever – I know my job's very different from a real estate agent, but like whenever I'm doing a showing or a tour – you know, right. I don't look at my phone. I never look at my phone. Yeah. Logan knows not to text me. Y'all know not to text me if I have a tour going on. So, you know, I understand she's not looking at our phone. So at um, 5.45 p.m., Jason and his friend are seen pulling up by witnesses outside of the house. A few minutes later, uh, after they arrive, Jason said that he saw the couple walk out onto the front porch, look around, and then return back inside. He didn't really think much of it because he's just assuming that is a part of her showing. So another 20 minutes go by and he starts getting like a little antsy because she hasn't responded and he like hasn't, he didn't see her walk out. So anyways, he's just being antsy. But as I stated before, like people are like, he's kind of controlling. So 
that could have been that mindset right there. Okay. The reason why he's antsy. So he texts her and says, are you okay? No response. He didn't like want to bust in the door of this house. And so Should he's I like, <laughs> well, because he he's like, she's just giving us a, a showing. So like, I need to calm down. You know, it's only been what, like not even 30 minutes since the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's still showing. It's a big house. You saw it. And so he didn't want to bust in the front door. So he tells his friend that he's just going to go look through the windows and see what he can see. So he sees her shoe by the, her shoes by the front door, which is very common when you're in a nice new house doing a showing. So that didn't really face him, but he couldn't see her anywhere. So he's just like looking through the windows. He like, look, so the garage is like a garage that has like windows in it. Mm-hmm like all the way down top to bottom. Oh. So he's like, looks through there. He doesn't see him in there. So he's just like, he's not feeling right about this. So he tries to go into the front door and it's locked. He gets a terrible feeling in his stomach and he immediately calls 911. He lets them know the situation and he tells them that he's going to try to break into this house. So Jason and his friend are going around the house, going from windows to doors and trying to get something opened everything is locked and one thing so then i look up i'm like is it common to lock the doors when you're in a showing and everybody's like no you never lock the doors because you don't want anybody to ever feel a trapped but b you don't want to be trapped right so this is like major red flags so he is going around they're trying to find anything that's unlocked and they can't find anything so Jason's friends like lift me over this privacy fence. I'm going to unlock the gate from the inside and we're going to try to get in through the back door. So he climbs over, lets Jason in and they are able to enter through the patio door. They are walking around the house quietly, just trying to listen to see if maybe she's upstairs, like having a long conversation, looking in all of the rooms on the bottom level, but they do not hear or see her or the people anywhere. And you know, like specifically me, when I'm giving a tour and if you're on the upstairs where it's like kind of open at up on the top of the stairs, mm-hmm. like you hear me talking. I'm right. like loud. I'm being and it's animated. An house. Right. There's nothing in this house. So why wouldn't you be able to hear her? So they're just like, you know, when your like heart starts beating, your adrenaline starts pumping. Mm-hmm. So they're just like running around at this point. They're screaming for her. They're screaming for anybody. No one's responding. So they run upstairs and they find Lindsay in a pool of blood in the master bedroom. In the what? Mm-hmm. The master bath? In the master bedroom. No, it's like – so it's in like the, the bed- bedroom okay. and right outside of the door of the bathroom is where she was laying. How fucking so, weird that when you showed me – the picture of the house. I'm like, what a beautiful master bedroom. I know. I, I, I'm so shocked when you said that. I was oh like, my okay, God. I keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. So at 6 11 p.m., Jason calls 911 again, frantically tells them the situation. And pretty much immediately, they're able to hear the police sirens because the police were already on their way, right. but they just didn't have sirens going. So the police, he, they can hear the police sirens. Jason's friend, is screaming from the upstairs window for help and Jason's trying to help Lindsay. So the EMTs rush on 
to go help Lindsay. The police take Jason and his friend into custody and they're just like getting them out of the house, like asking them what's going on. And unfortunately the EMTs declare um, Lindsay dead on the scene. So later they determined that she had actually been murdered between 5.39 PM and 5.42 PM. So, so within nine minutes of entering the house, Oh, my God. Yeah. Nobody saw the couple leave, though, right? Nobody saw them. They saw them come out, which had been a perfect timeline for when they would have murdered her. But this is going to sound weird to you once I tell you what's next. Okay. So she had been stabbed from behind first before being turned around. And um, she was stabbed approximately 40 times in her face, chest, and neck. Oh, my God. So it was a sneak attack, basically. So she, I, they, like, assumed that she was, like, showing them the master bath and then leading them out. And they attacked her from behind. She didn't have any defensive wounds or anything because she had been – it was a sneak attack. So – all of her belongings were accounted for, and she had not been sexually assaulted at all. So Jason and his friend get cleared pretty much immediately because of the A, eyewitness accounts, B, alibis, and three, C, <laughs> I don't know how it went, A, B, three, whatever. <laughs> um, the evidence, there was just no evidence. So they couldn't even hold anybody accountable for this. So... Jason was very, very helpful with the case. He gave a polygraph. However, he did not want to give his DNA because he did not want it to be like assumed because obviously his DNA is going to be on her. He was trying to help her. And he's also, you know, her boyfriend of two years. They live together. Her D his DNA is going to be all over her, you know. Right. So and he had been running around the house right before this. So. To me, that's not that big of a deal just because of in the past cases that we've discussed, like we know what, how damning, you know, it can be for they you. always sometimes. pick the significant other. Right. So this is not a big deal, but the biggest deal is, is that the crime scene is completely clean. No DNA, no fingerprints, no footprints, nothing. Completely clean. Squeaky clean. So... They start trying to map out, like, what the hell could have happened in this house. They assume that the couple tried to leave out the front door after murdering um, Lindsay. However, once they saw Jason and his friend outside in their car, they got freaked out and decided to exit out the back and climbed over the fence. So they decide to trace the cell phone number that the couple had called from. They trace it back to a burner phone that had been purchased at a convenience store in Vancouver in January 2008, right before they called her, about like a week and a half before they called her. And it was registered under the name Paulo Rodriguez. And the address it was registered under was a business. So they go to this business and there's literally nobody under this name there. So... It was obviously a fake name and just like a random address that they threw in there. So they're able to trace the cell phone records and they find that the day before Lindsay's murder, this cell phone had traveled to Vancouver Island and it had only ever been used to contact Lindsay. Mm. 
But now the phone has been deactivated and disabled, so they could not track it any further. So to me, and to many Reddit users, (laughs) this looks like a professional hit. And then, you know... I'm thinking like, yeah, this – because it's just too clean for me. Like someone that's, you know, just an amateur isn't going to be able to, A, maintain the fact that you don't have any fingerprints anywhere. You don't have like any DNA anywhere. You don't have any defensive wounds. Like this is very very clean. But what's crazy is what type of professional hitman would ever – stab someone 40 times just randomly throughout their upper torso. True. That's a dirty murder. Like that's not something that's squeaky clean and easy. It's like one shot to the head. Right. This is very personal. Like this is something that you don't really stab someone 40 times that you don't know, you know? Right. So we're at a pretty big, dead end at this point and there's just no trail no evidence nothing at all but here is something important that happened just 11 days prior to Lindsay's murder the largest drug bust in alberta's history took place and one of Lindsay's friends had been arrested during this bust and they didn't like they hadn't this Lindsay and her friend, they hadn't talked for like a few months, um, according to friends and family. I don't know if there was like a falling out or maybe they just grew apart for a little bit because he was so involved with like this cartel and she didn't want to be involved with it or whatever. But what's weird is that two weeks prior to her murder, she called him and they had a conversation. And that's that friend's phone that she called had been tapped by law enforcement. And I read that Lindsay's phone and Jason, her boyfriend's phone had also been tapped because of that specific call. But I don't know how true that is um, Mm -hmm. about Lindsay's phone being tapped, but it was confirmed that Jason's phone was tapped by law enforcement. And it it wasn't because of that call through Lindsay. It was because of his, like, one of his best friends was one of the people that had gotten arrested um, during the drug bust. So some people even speculated that she was an informant to law enforcement. However, that was literally, like, publicly dismissed by the police and she had never been involved with drugs in any way, shape, or form or the trafficking of drugs. So they think that maybe she had um, been pegged as the informant because of that specific call. And so the cartel uh, murdered her. Oh, my God. Right. So that's theory one. Right. That makes sense. So that's theory one. Okay. Here's theory two. So the developer of that cul-de-sac is named Joe DeSosa. And He was a very, very close friend and business associate of Shirley, Jason's mother. Mm -hmm. And an hour prior to the murder, Joe had actually been at the construction site overseeing a project literally just an hour before. And on top of all of this, 
Everybody around Jason said that the days leading up to the murder, he had been acting super weird. So they're like interviewing his friends, whatever. So they bring back in the friend that was with him in the car. And um, they're like, you know, like, you know, how long have you known Jason, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, look, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys right now. Jason and I aren't really that close. And he actually thought his friend actually thought it was super weird that Jason asked him to go to dinner. So when Jason originally asked him to go to dinner, the friend was like, Oh no, you know, like politely declined. Basically it was like, I got plans, you know, I can't make it, whatever. And Jason just kept on and on insisting that they go together. And he insisted for so long. So the friend's like, okay, whatever. Okay, we'll go. And then as soon as he talks a friend into going, he's like, okay, but before we go, we have to go to this um, showing, my girlfriend's showing, and make sure that she's safe. Mm Hmm. Yeah. That's weird. That's suspicious. Right. So to me, that's let me bring my own – witness let me make my own alibi right because how else was he going to be accounted for if a he wasn't on the security footage b he wasn't you know didn't have someone with him because only you know the nosy neighbors can only sit outside their window for so long you know right but um despite all of this shirley jason joe and the friend had all been cleared um even when they you know continued when they found out all this information So on top of those theories, there were a few strange occurrences that had happened after Lindsay's murder. So the first one is that a few months after her murder, a realtor from a different company um, gets a call and the call, and there's a woman on the other end and she's like, hi, I want you to sell my house. And so the lady's like, okay, let me get some information, blah, blah, blah. But she's like weirded out by this phone call because the person has a weird accent. Right. So she's like, she reports it and she's like, hey, like I know this happened to that Lindsay girl a few months ago. So I just want to, you know, get this checked out. So the police trace the phone number back and it's from Jason's ex-girlfriend. Oh my God. Yeah. But, like, why this random other realtor? Maybe she, like, really liked killing? I don't know. Okay, so that's the first one. Now, this is the second one, and this one's crazy. So, later in 2008, a close, close friend, like, Lindsay's very best friend, Nikki, claimed that she was woken up from a phone call in the middle of the night from an unknown number. So she was like half asleep and she couldn't understand what the woman was saying on the other end of the phone, but she noticed that the caller had a strange accent and she couldn't place it. So the caller hangs up and then like Nikki like wakes up and she's like super hyper aware of everything because she's remembering that that's the same accent that Lindsay had described Spanish, but not right. And oh Lindsay, my God. And so Nikki, Lindsay's out. best friends, like, okay, this is the first time I've understood what she was saying. So Lindsay, I'm sorry, Nikki calls this phone number back 20 to 30 times and waiting for someone to answer. So finally someone answers 
And guess who's on the other end of the line? Her boyfriend. Shirley, her boyfriend's mother. (gasps) And Nikki's like, hi, Shirley. Why the fuck are you calling me in the middle of the night? And how did you get my number? And why do you have an accent, bitch? Right. So Shirley responds by saying that she meant to call another Nikki in her phone, which was her secretary, and that she didn't know why Nikki that Nikki's number was saved in her contact list, but she just assumed that it was that Jason had added it in there just in case she ever needed it. But what's weird is as I told you before, Shirley was really controlling. And not only was she Lindsay's boss, but She was her mother, like, you know, probably future mother-in-law, like, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever. But Nikki knew that Lindsay didn't really love Shirley. So, like, why would she ever give her Nikki's number? Like, I love my mother-in-law, but my mother-in-law doesn't have any of y'all's numbers. Right, yeah. You know, she has y'all on Facebook, but... Yeah, you're not wrong. Not any of y'all's numbers. So that whole entire situation in itself is just weird like but what's even crazier is it's turned into this gigantic he said she said situation because Shirley completely denies this entire thing happening she says nope Nikki's crazy Nikki's making that shit up and Nikki's like why would I literally make that up right this is my best friend she has phone records too Right. So she's like, no, I'm not making it up. Like, you're just a sociopath. So now here's another story from Nikki that is really, really interesting. And I'm just going to say it really quickly is that um, basically one night they were having like a wine night in Lindsay and Jason's condo. And so the girls were like out in the living room drinking wine, watching a movie. And um, Lindsay got a little drunk. They both were a little drunk and they were just talking and Lindsay's like being really quiet, you know, and she tells Nikki that she thinks she's going to leave Jason, that he's been like a little too controlling lately. And she hasn't been like feeling like she can be herself. Like she doesn't want it to turn abusive and stuff, but she would never like say that he was abusive because he wasn't. And he was just kind of like a controlling personality person. Yeah. But um, so she said, like, this is weeks before her, like, not even a month. Like, I mean, like, just a few weeks before her murder. And Jason wasn't asleep like they thought. So he comes out into the living room. He had been standing there listening to them talking. And he walks out into the living room. And Nikki was so scared that she ran out the front door. And was, like, leaving to, like, walk home because she was, like, so scared. And Lindsay ran after her because she was scared of Jason. And Jason, like, called her, like, a billion times until she answered and she went back. And then, after, like, literally, like, a few days after this, Shirley, Jason's mom, uh, took the entire family on this, like, out of the blue, nowhere, like, not planned ski trip And when Lindsay and Jason returned, uh, Lindsay and Nikki, like, had another wine night. And she was like, so are you still going to leave him? Like, what's the deal? And um, Lindsay was like, no, I don't think I'm going to. Like, I think I was just having some strong emotions. So Nikki's like, I think something happened on that 
ski trip, ski trip. with Charlie. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's really it for Lindsay Buziak's murder. We still have no idea who did it. Um, there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of coincidences, but no one has been charged. Um, her father, Jeff Buziak is amazing. Like number one, dad, he is actually interviewed on the case files episode. And that is, you know, something hard to listen to, but I really, really encourage you guys because I'm only able, able to give you half of the story. Like you should definitely go listen to this. Um, and he runs a website that is the lindsaybuziakmurder.com. It's got message boards on it. It has every single um, interview that he's ever done linked in it, all of the evidence, all of the photos. Like he and he updates it daily. Um, he holds a walk on February 2nd for her every single year. Aww. And there's been like a lot of talk in the like area that they basically ref- were not like doing a good job with this case. The police, um, the law enforcement that had it that and so they petitioned to get it moved to another police department and it did and it was reopened um recently in 2020 i think in march of 2020 right so in um on this like website it's amazing go look at it it's got everything that you want to know about this it's got all the conspiracies all the theories everything Mm -hmm. and um it, like I said, it has an active mes- message board. And in August of 2017, a public message was posted on the end, like on this website, on the message board. And it that's ran by her father. And it said, I killed Lindsay and the stupid cops will never prove it. And they don't care. Oh, my God. Yeah. So a lot of people speculate that this happened within the police force and Shirley has a lot of friends that are in the police force. Well, I think the whole entire cartel theory goes out the bag, especially if someone's commenting that, well, you have your mom's phone calls and whatnot to Nikki, but especially because somebody's commenting that if that is like a cartel hit, they don't give a fuck. They kill people every day. Yeah. They don't care. So They're like, they're not going to go back and you know what I and mean? And what Hitman's going to sta- – okay, well, here's something I didn't mention that I want to mention because it's not that big of a deal in the case. But then when you think about the ex-girlfriend situation, mm-hmm. it becomes a lot more relevant is um, actually when she was like stabbed when they – so she had just gotten a boob job. So she got her like – implants put in and the implants had been targeted like they stabbed the implants multiple times oh my god yeah so that is another red flag to me that it was really personal but i didn't want to say that in the beginning to make y'all like immediately think how personal it was because to me like it seems like it's a hitman like what type of crazy ex-girlfriend's gonna know to do all this you know Anyways, that's the story of the murder of Lindsay Buziak. If you know anything at all or have heard any rumors about anything at all, I strongly encourage you to get on her father's website, which is lindsaybuziakmurder.com. And the spelling and the link will be in the photos that we post. Um, Hop on there. Give any of the information that you have or you can call the police department that reopened it. 
that information will be either in our show notes or on the post itself. So that is the murder of Lindsay Buziak. Well, I hate to say I love the story, but I love the story. I hate that it's still unsolved and it's fucking scary. I'm really getting sick of these everyday murders because you always think like, oh, that could never be me. That's what that girl right. thought. She literally, and like, she's at the beginning of her career and like, right. she's like so excited that her career is about to take off and she gets murdered. Like, that's shitty. Yeah. Hate that for her. Well, love the story. Hate the story. At least she's got the best daddy in the whole world. Yeah. Poor daddy. So, I know. I hate that. All right, for guys. Well, thank you, Taylor. Love it. <laughs> um, Hope you guys enjoyed your new story. <laughs> I hope that this is the very first and absolute last time that we will ever be using Squadcast. Loved it though. Hated Loved it though. It. I hated it. Um, I started out recording the podcast on my chair and not even what, five minutes ago, I broke a leg off my fucking chair. So now I'm sitting on the floor um, and I'm itching my back with the, the, the leg. Okay, so we are delusional. Um, Anyways. It's one in the morning. Yeah, it's one. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Happy New Year. Set your goals. Set your intentions. Meditate on it and manifest the best things that come to you in this year. Thanks for listening to us, and we'll see you in 2021. See you in 2021. See you next year, folks. (laughs) Bye. Bye.